0: This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM.
1: You're listening to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Welcome back to Dollars and Change here on Business Radio, Channel 132, Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Sandy Hunt.
0: And I'm Nick Ashburn. And
1: we're delighted to be continuing today's great conversation. We just... Learned more, I think, than I've ever known about the process of calling nine one one, right? And thinking about that as a business model,
0: right? Did you ever watch that show? Uh, not not the Fox show nine one one, but like where they actually did the emergencies and like, no. like it was like a nineties show. We definitely watched it.
1: Were they s- simulated?
0: Yeah, hmm. whatever. You know these crazy nine one one calls. So that was what was really playing in my head. With yeah. All these things I watched as a kid.
1: Well, it's one of these things that you think you really count on. It is like a societal
0: For sure. safety
1: net that, you know, you really count on being able to call 911 in an emergency situation. And with, you know, the fact that so much health care is driven by public markets and sort of shifting and changing and, you know, urgent cares weren't a thing a decade ago. Now they're on every block. You know, how how is that impacting the 911 yeah. emergency, you know, call services and call center? And it's, it's great information to know. And um, people are making those decisions. In you know a very extreme place when they're making that phone call most of the time I would guess so um, very fascinating to hear how they're you know meeting user experience and not sure. changing the intake process but then having tools for them so fascinating stuff and just so cool like this is one of our students just right. to sort of pause and appreciate how neat it is that these are some of the ideas that are um you know blossoming and, and being cultivated and encouraged and funded and supported and researched on campus here it's just very very neat. But let's continue on to our next guest, sure to be equally impressive, Matt Polson, the CEO and founder of Omaze. Welcome to the show, Matt.
2: Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me.
1: Matt, what was the problem that you saw that you set out to solve with Omaze?
2: Yeah. So, um, well, first of all, thanks for having me on the on the call. I'm really, I'm, I'm really, or on the on the show. I'm really excited to be back talking to the Wharton community. Um, so, you know, basically, like my background before launching Omaze was. Um, was doing cause content so we were we were doing big um projects you know where our passion was using storytelling to inspire action and we were doing things like um we did this, docu- uh, this documentary called girl rising about girls education in the developing world that was funded by oprah and queen reina of jordan and marylle streep was the narrator we did a
1: what is not to offer. love about that trio <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, it was a good. It was a good combo. They're 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 a force of nature, obviously. Um, we did like a concert called Live Earth, which was the biggest concert ever thrown on seven different continents in um, on one night, um, and had everyone from Rolling Stones to Jay Z. For climate change, and then um, we spent a couple of years traveling around the world interviewing the world's greatest thinkers, a couple hundred Nobel prize winners, and MacArthur Genius Grant we be in some. and we were just doing all this work.
1: What was the was last part? Fl- did you was there a, a book, a documentary?
2: Yeah, it was, uh, it was like a digital series called Untitled Thinkers.
1: Very cool. So yeah. these all sound like great things. Why was there a need yeah. for innovation?
2: Well, because we were realized that we were creating a lot of awareness around these projects but we weren't necessarily creating a lot of impact. And that was kind of endemic to the cause space as a whole, you know? And so that's what... So people were watching motivated.
1: that that video about uh, girls, under you know, underserved education for girls, but not voting because of it, donating to it, taking action. That's
2: right. That's right. There wasn't, you know, um, you think about like Inconvenient Truth, you know, that was kind of the paragon of like a con- cause content movement, right? Mm-hmm. But there was no call. Like you watched the movie, and there was no call to action. There was no like. Dedicated Mostly because it's like really
0: it. cynical, and we go, "Is it too late? Is there anything we can do?"
2: <laughs> right, right. That's Fair
1: like, question. Like
2: it was more about like this is what's wrong, what's wrong versus right. this is what we can do. You know, um, and so and that was just that was that was in many ways the like kind of the kind of content. You know, a lot of the charitable fundraising content, if you remember back even a decade ago, but certainly two decades ago, was very much like, here's these emaciated children in a village with flies on Mm -hmm. their face, like help them, Mm -hmm. you know, like rather than here's these young children who are, yes, are in difficult conditions, but like, look what they can do with a little bit of help, you know, and look what they can like, look what they can go on and do like what girl rising, did a great job of, you know, really showed that girls education is the number one investment you can make in terms of, you know, creating economic growth, especially in the developing world. But again, they're like, and, and and Girl rising was a better example of this, but, but a lot of these things just didn't have actions on the other end. Right. And so, um, that's why we went to I went to business. That's why I went to Wharton was to, you know, kind of surround myself with people smarter than me and learn new ways of thinking. I had never even <laughs> opened Excel. That's the way Excel I feel before. every day too here. Yeah. Yeah. I had never even opened Excel. <laughs> Thanks, before Sandy. Yeah.
1: <laughs> they yeah. let you in without basic knowledge of Excel.
2: <sighs> you they must made have me snuck take a in
1: that. Yeah,
2: they made me take a math test. They literally made me like once I got in, it was conditional upon yeah. taking like to show my quality. Yeah,
1: there's a there's also there. a preterm like math boot camp. For for I students, had to do that too. There you go. Yeah. But it worked because yeah. now you've launched yeah. this incredible business. And yeah, tell us. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us what Omaze is.
2: Yeah. So we raise money and awareness for charities by offering the chance to win once in a lifetime experiences. Um, we've done everything from be mentored by Michelle Obama to be in Star Wars to um, win a Lamborghini where Pope Francis hands you the keys.
1: Whoa. What? Those are all very cool. I would like to do all those things. Um so what what is the impact? The the impact gap was sort of what drove the innovation here.
2: Yeah. This is you know we we we, yeah. What we do is rather than making it so just I guess a quick like quick story of where it started will kind of explain that and maybe be a better question or better answer to your problem question. But basically you know, where the idea came from is we were in an event that Magic Johnson was hosting for the Boys and Girls Club where he was auctioning off the chance to play basketball with him and go to a Lakers game. But it was one of those things that was only available to the high net worth individuals sitting in the room. And we were in the room, but not high net worth individuals. You know, we were. Yeah, we were that's got to
1: be a bit of a they, bummer at a silent yeah, auction. We
2: the, yeah, that's right. We were the guys who get invited like last minute to fill the table.
1: There you go. You know,
2: and, and so we sat there and we watched as the auction went up. and we couldn't afford to participate. But Magic Johnson is our childhood hero. Like, there's nothing, even to this day, we'd rather do than play basketball with Magic. And so, when we were driving home that night, we said, you know, if we made this available to everybody online for the chance to win, you could raise so much more money, uh, put up a a whole new donor base, raise more awareness for the charity.
1: So, is this Um, finding all sorts of of Magic Johnson fans and saying, if you donate 10 bucks, you got a chance to win?
2: that's that's exactly right that's exactly right and so yeah and so and we've done that we've now we've now raised um almost 170 million dollars for charity um we've um you know we've uh and we on these campaigns rather than like at an auction where someone pays 25 or 50,000 we've had some where you know we when we did go to the finale of breaking bad that raised 40,000 at auction you got to ride with Brian and Aaron in a in a RV and cook eggs with them, if you guys know the show. But it did forty thousand at auction. It did one point seven
0: million on Omaze.
1: I just want to remind our listeners we're talking to Matt Polson, who's the founder, co-founder, and CEO of Omaze.
0: Yeah, and and I want to break this down for a second. All right, because yeah. I just went. All right, sorry, babe. I just went to my husband's organization's gala last week. And uh-huh. there was both a silent auction and then a live auction. And I hate these things. I hate them so much. I'm sorry, all nonprofits <laughs> but, like. I just hate them. Michael knows I hate them too. And like, I know what they raised, and what you just described is much more than that. Now it, they're a you know a regional Philadelphia-based nonprofit, so they're not going to have necessarily a national profile, but like. Woof. Like I'd rather go <laughs> I'd rather go play basketball with Magic Johnson well, I, than sit through another live chicken auction. Chicken dinner live auction. Exactly. So
1: right. so tell right. us um that I think the the criticism that one might have outside looking in is like, uh, um, you know, these celebrities and this company like how much is the nonprofit really getting? And that's often what we ask at these events too. Like we're all here in Texas, I see the ice sculpture, we're eating maybe chicken and steak how much is actually going to the cause we care about. So to talk about some of the breakdowns that Omay shares about the percentage of funding that's going to the organizations that are being championed.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, what we care about is is more than percentages. We care about dollars raised, you know, and so we make huge investments to maximize the amount of dollars that actually end up in the charities pocket
1: So you're comfortable end, spending a million dollars to get five to the charity versus yeah, trying to exactly. shoestring it? Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. So the way so the way it breaks down for us is simple. We have two we have two kind of models, right? We have um we have our like what we call our partner where there's a talent, like a celebrity associated with the campaign and it's their cause and and right. I just think I, I think
1: it's all well, the Game of Thrones Dragon Queen, do this example. that you could
0: Daenerys? Yeah.
1: Daenerys. Yeah. So you could go. Dragon Queen, you could go on set yeah. or something. It's the
2: actual person, yeah, yes, yeah. She, yeah. You can. We did one where you go on set, but we also are just doing one where you get to watch the last episode with her to benefit her charity, Same You
1: that's um, great yeah
0: that's yeah. really cool Sand- sandy's eyes are lighting up i don't watch game of thrones but her eyes just lit
1: up. well i'm just thinking about the outrageous yeah. ways a fan would react to the last episode and then to be yeah, the be you know cool. the star of the show Good sitting there watching like them happens. like yeah. swear and scream and cover their eyes or you know what if she's a bad guy that's on the table right now I'm And they, they, they might have to watch it with her so yeah, so you geez. take something like this and then how does that money break down Yeah, so
2: let's say, um, let's say it raises a million dollars, right? So basically we have to invest $250,000 into the, the pricing, like, which is just like flying people out and putting people up and all that kind of stuff, the credit card transaction fees. Um, off the gross and then the biggest investment for us is content mm-hmm. Like We create all the content and really the, the biggest is the performance marketing, right? Like if Amelia posts on her Instagram like, you know, Facebook only allows it to reach 3% of her audience organically So we boost those posts and we do a bunch of different, you know We use our data science team and our performance marketing team to really get the word out there in addition to what we do on PR and all that stuff, mm-hmm. right? And so 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 we spend 200, you know, to raise a million, we spend 250 thousand on marketing, pricing, um, everything that goes with that, right? The content, credit card transaction piece, and then we split um, on these campaigns. We split the net 80 20 with the charity, right? So the charity nets 600 thousand. And Omaze nets uh, one hundred fifty thousand, so we we always net fifteen percent of the gross on these things.
1: And how do you right? get selected as a charity? Because this is a high upside. Because it sounds like your yeah. Omaze is shouldering a lot of the heavy lifting, right? And you think about you know Nick, I'm looking at you. How much work Michael had to do and his team had to do for a gala, you know? I we- do know how much work they had to do. <laughs> so, yeah. what does it look like for an organization to be on the receiving end of this? Because six hundred thousand dollars. Is a significant amount yeah, of money, no, anyway that, you yeah. slice it. But how much do they have to oh. put in to get that out?
2: No, they don't have to put in anything. You know, so they they make no investment. We absorb all the risk. Um, mm-hmm. We have the, we're full service, so we do all the content, we do all the legal registration, we do all um, everything like all the fulfillment, all the customer service, like everything. We we take care of all of it. Um, now, so on the when it, when there's a celebrity like. Amelia involved, like they choose their charity, right? She's doing it for a cause that she cares about, or Arnold Schwarzenegger does it for the cause that he founded, or Matt Damon does it for the one that he founded. So that's how that side works. I think we just
1: had them on two weeks ago. Matt Damon's water nonprofit.
2: Oh, you did? Mm -hmm. Amazing. We did. Yeah. Was Matt on? No. No. Oh, Gary?
1: (laughs) Yeah, Uh, absolutely. It was Gary. Gary. Yeah. 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 We we te- we tried yeah. to uh, play with our listeners' emotions, <laughs> lure them into thinking yeah, yeah, Matt yeah. Damon would be on the show. But Gary was great. Uh, uh, he was great.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gary Gary's awesome. Like he's a true visionary. Yeah, he was wonderful. He's done a lot of stuff with them.
1: Very cool. Yeah. I just want to remind our listeners we're talking to Matt Polson, who's the founder, co-founder, and CEO of Omaze. So this this sounds great. What are what can you yeah. tell us about the trends that we're seeing? Because I'm curious if it's the celebrities themselves that are driving the selection of these causes, you know, are you seeing them meeting, you know, the, the truest and most significant impact areas? Are you seeing trends of types of impact areas that these celebrities tend to be drawn to?
2: Um, yeah. So they you know, it's pretty wide, right? Like um, Amelia will be something that's really personal to her because she has, she suffered two brain aneurysms. So she's created an organization to help people overcome kind of unexpected or catastrophic medical situations, um Matt, you know, Matt founded Water.org because he had been on a trip with Gary and kind of seen the impact that providing wells can have on a whole system, specifically, you know, on girls' education. Like, almost the most mm-hmm. important thing you can do for girls' education is to put a well in the community because – that way, the girls don't have to walk to fetch water instead of mm-hmm. going to school. Yeah,
1: safer than
2: Yeah, exactly. Bono is very passionate about Red, which is provides life saving, AIDS medication to um, you know people throughout the developing world. John Stewart um, is really passionate about veterans and autism because one of his um, collaborators, long-time collaborators, Robert Smigel has an autistic, um, child and he's been really supportive of them. So it's, you know, it's really, they're kind of all, all over.
1: Yeah. You know, i very know. driven by their, their personal journey. We sometimes forget these people are people, um, but they have yeah, stories exactly. and families yeah. and, you know, origins. They're
2: just, and they're just normal people with crazy jobs. You know, that's really the, re- the reality. They just have jobs that everyone knows about. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then and then we also we've evolved our our business model too. Where, in addition to just doing these um, talent campaigns, we also do stuff like win a one of a time sprinter van, or um, we have a VW electric bug, or we're gonna um, we do erase your student debt, or uh, sign like, me up. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah, and those go to different organizations that are aligned with whatever. We're doing, and then that model is different because the um, like because we're not working with talent, um, and because we're making such big investments. Like if we do like win a you know right now we have a win a um, uh, Lamborghini Huracan right? It's a four hundred thousand dollar car. So if this if something like that raises a million dollars, you have a bunch bigger investment in pricing, right? So if it's a million dollars, the marketing because it's more expensive to market without. Um, without the talent and and because we're buying a car and also covering the taxes for the winner and the shipping and all that um, that typically costs about seven hundred thousand in marketing and pricing and credit card transactions so there's three hundred thousand left and then 150 thousand goes to the charity and know 150 thousand goes to a maze but in those situations the charities, Like it even better because they literally have to do nothing. They don't have to talk to talent. They don't. They literally like don't have to activate their list. We're literally just sending them checks.
1: Got it. Yeah, one hundred fifty thousand dollars check isn't isn't a bad thing for any any nonprofit to receive. Yeah, Um, exactly. I just want to remind our listeners we're talking to Matt Polson, who's the founder, co-founder, and CEO of Omaze. Um, I'm I'm thinking that a lot of folks, a lot of nonprofit, you know, leaders are listening and going, "Sign me up." (laughs) This sounds great, but if I'm not the you know, preferred charity of Amelia Clark or Magic Johnson or, you know, any of the number of great folks you mentioned and others, you know, how can I learn from this? What can I do? So what advice would you have, Matt? You've seen the, the realities of nonprofit fundraising. Nick has painted a picture for us of what it can look like on a Friday night. What advice yeah. do you have for nonprofit leaders who are thinking about innovating and maximizing their fundraising strategies?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, I think fundraising is really challenging for all nonprofit leaders. That's why we exist, and the people, the type of people that go and lead nonprofits are, you know, the great social change makers of our times. So we want them to be able to focus as much as possible on the actual work rather than the fundraising for the work. You know, um, and so I think where some nonprofits go can go wrong is they rely on those really high end donors and those auctions. Um, as one form of fundraising, it can be fine. It can be powerful in one, and there's some that do it really well. But, but the problem is, is you know, you're reliant so much on who's in the room. And, and also, if you just have high-end donors and you don't have a larger base, then you know, the volatility of your fundraising can just be very scary. Um, so what I would encourage them is just, like, just to understand that there's a lot of other options out there besides what's been done for so long. Better it can be like, you know, as Nick said, can be very time intensive and um, and not necessarily great for anyone involved. Um, so they can reach out to us because we are on the own side being able to help other nonprofits. So they can they can totally reach out to Omaze. We love you at Omaze. But outside of Omaze, um, I think it's important to really focus on storytelling and really understand, like have a digital strategy around that. So that when you when someone does give to you, you really articulate to them what that impact was and who's on the other side of that and what that looks like. Because that's what people will connect to over time. They'll want to continue to to see themselves empower another person, um, provide them opportunities, provide them resources. Like, that's what gets people excited. So you have to invest in telling that story back to your donors. Um, and then, you know, recognize that there's a lot of new worlds out there in terms of ways to fundraise. Obviously, crowdfunding is enormous. Um, there's ways to empower your donor base like that. There's a lot of Brands, you know, that understand that they need to use their resources for good, so they can go to them and, and look for partnerships there. Um, as another source of fundraising, um, and then, and and then, you know, and then other platforms like us are kind of the way to do it.
0: So. Matt, I wanted to ask you just a little bit about your journey as an entrepreneur um, and, and sort of lessons for our, our listeners. You know, we had you on the show, I think, August of 2014. So, you know, going wow. on five years ago, yeah, that's you wild. guys have existed since, I think, wow. 2012. So we got you kind of early. And you it did. sounds like you've, you know, $170 million raised in the last several years. You know, what are some of the big lessons learned that you, you know, would want other, you know, listeners who might be entrepreneurs to to be sure that they keep in mind?
2: Absolutely. Um, you know, I think some of the lessons I think I've learned are a little counterintuitive. Um, I think the first lesson I would share with entrepreneurs is that everyone is scared. You know, I think like a lot of times when you hear the stories of entrepreneurs, you, you hear them told in reverse. And yeah. like it seems like everything that that entrepreneur did was done with like courage and prescience at, at every moment. Right. And even when you hear about the failures, you just, they they're like beautiful about, like, narrative marks. Over, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They immediately overcame them. Like, like every good hero's journey. And the reality is, is like, like, no, like so few people know what they're doing and you start off and it is really scary. I mean, when I started, like I had $200,000 of Wharton debt, you know, and turned out a job <laughs> at McKinsey and, and, um, and had been a documentary filmmaker before. So I was like, I have zero, this is like totally irrational. You know, so I was scared. And I, I initially thought like, oh man, maybe I'm not cut out for this because I do have these moments of fear. Or I do have these moments I'm going to let down our team or do those things. And everyone has those, you know, the the key is just being able to stay present during those times. You know, t- I like to talk to my 80 year old self and, and talk to him about where we are and the in the in the journey, because that person, the eighty year old self gives you perspective. It that's
1: really beautiful the advice.
2: Short times, you know, and that helps that helps debunk some of, of the fear, right? Like that's that's one that's one I think important thing. Um, another lesson I would say is like the the greatest fuel of persistence is serving others. You know, so if you if you reorient what you're doing around how this is going to serve others, how like, whether it, you know, that's not to say you have to be a social impact business or anything like that, but like that, you know, even if it's going to serve the the people on your team or their families or whatever it is, but that will give you like, when you're, when you're thinking about something beyond yourself, when you hit those hard times, it actually gives you a sense of strength that I think is a much deeper reservoir than when you are just doing it about you, you know? And, And part of being an entrepreneur is like, there's, Self-actualization and inevitably a little bit of ego that you that you even think that you can do something as crazy as entrepreneurship. But um, the more you can like dedicate your time to others, the more you can think about who this is going to serve. And it's totally fine to want to make money and do all those things. I'm not saying that, but it just it gives you another level of strength. Um, And then the last thing I would just say is like gratitude is your best friend. Like practice gratitude. Like I've had. I remember like when we were first going out, there was a day where. I found out that in the same day that like our main funder was going to pull out our main campaign that we had that we thought was going to break us through. And we are already out of cash was going to, um, like the, the talent decided to no longer do it with us. And I remember like being like, Oh my God, this is over. This is done. And someone giving me advice. He's like, write down tonight, like five things you're grateful for. I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm grateful for nothing today. <laughs> <laughs> the worst day ever." You know, but, um, but what it does is reframe it, yep. that right like it yep. says okay i'm grateful that i found out that that the investor might pull out while well, i still have something to do about it right i'm mm-hmm. grateful that like i know who i can sub in for this talent while i do because then it honors the experience but then gives you a, a way to reframe and essentially grow from that
1: yeah and i think are there are reasons. studies that like, show like it, your gratitude your your perspective and optimism on life increases with this exercise they've done studies Um, where, you know, you've tried down three things a day or 10 minutes of gratitude journaling or, you know, five things Mm -hmm. about the person you're, you know, battling with at that time. And, you know, it actually does, you know, folks self-report that they do feel better about those situations and people when they sort of take the time to reflect on that gratitude. So that's a great example. I also love the 80 year old self. I think it's a hard one to do, but so do you have any tips for our listeners
2: in terms of how to do that? Yeah. Um like you if you paint I mean maybe it's you know if, if you had imaginary friends growing up like you know you can do this
1: like you know you did listeners our
2: imagination is an incredibly powerful tool mm-hmm. and when we're children we use it to think about what's possible mm-hmm. and when we become adults we use it to think about what could go wrong yep you know and so the if you you just kind of lean into the exercise right like when i do it i'm like i do it from writing perspective it's weird to like talk it out you know but i'll mm-hmm. i'll write I'll literally kind of write like, this is what, this is what current day Matt thinks of the situation, you know, and then, and the fears and some of the curious questions. And then I have the 80 year old Matt respond to those things, you know, and, and oftentimes like, again, it just lets some of the air out of the situation. Right. Cause a lot of like, a lot of the fear that you, and the pressure you put on yourself in entrepreneurship like comes from your projection of what other people are going to think like it comes from your your projection of how if this falls apart then there's this cascading effect where you know you're gonna you're gonna be on the streets when you know 10 years from, whatever it's like it's amazing like how far people can go with that and how far i've heard other entrepreneurs like allow that weight to hit them
1: yep and that so, sounds great
2: you know when you step back a little bit from that it, it just it it again just gives you space for the longer view
1: yeah, I think that's great advice. We've only had two guests in, in my history that I can remember here on Dollars and Change really focus on the mental health and those exercises for entrepreneurs, but I don't think they can be overstated. So that's what I'm taking away from today's show, The Power of the Imagination, in addition to the many wonderful things we learned. Thank you so much for joining us and talking to us a little bit about Omaze, and thank you listeners for joining us for these great conversations. If you have a question about something you heard on today's show, you can email us at businessradio at SiriusXM, follow us at biz radio 132 we're at wharton social and we want to take the time as always to thank our wonderful guests to thank our program director patty hall our sound engineer jeff simmons and our producer matt datz i'm sandy hunt and i'm nick ashburn you've been listening to dollars and change on business radio powered by the wharton school sirius xm channel 132
0: for more guest interviews check out our wharton business radio highlights podcast on itunes and google play